I exercise. I don't have red meat more than once or twice a week. I do have a glass of wine with my dinner at least three times a week. I think the odds are pretty good I'm gonna see my 90th birthday. Could I see 95 if I eliminated all the rest of that stuff? Maybe, maybe it would just seem like it was an extra five years. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? I can't have wine? Shoot me. <laughs> Are you the type of person that listens in on other people's conversations in restaurants? Are you a nosy son of a gun with nothing else to do? Are you out walking your dog looking for an interesting conversation? Are you standing on a ledge of a building ready to jump, wondering what life is all about? Well, you've come to the right place. Subscribe to Chat Buffet on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Chat Buffet, the podcast for arbitrary thoughts and everyday observations. Hello. Hi, Joe. Hello, Asha. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Chat Buffet. Thank you for the nice, wonderful welcome. Hey, I have a question for you. Spring it on me. <laughs> Are you colorblind? No, I'm not colorblind. And, and I just want to let you know that I'm not asking you based on the various types of clothing that I've seen you wear. How dare you? It was just a general question. How, da- how do you like to do this podcast by yourself? <laughs> oh, <Son of> a- <laughs> well, <laughs> well, actually, my boys are colorblind. I didn't know they were colorblind until I they got to kindergarten. I didn't know that. I didn't know either until they got to kindergarten. So Ephraim got to kindergarten, and one of the things that they do in school automatically is um, they call the kids to the nurses, and she does a test on them just to check their vision a little bit, and then colorblind. I didn't even realize they did this. So I get a call from the nurses when Vikram is in kindergarten, and she tells me, well, Vikram is colorblind. I'm like, what? No way. Because I played with him as a kid, and I know, like, if I say pick up the blue toy or the red toy or the yellow toy, he knew, and he picked up the right one. He but, never got it wrong. Everything was fine. I, why would I assume that he was colorblind? Uh, but, but because he probably knew that, no, this one's blue and, and, it, yes. was, and it was his pool toy as opposed yes. to his yo-yo or something like that. No, wow. even if they were matching things, all the same things. If I put blue, yellow, green, red, you know, all the colors out there, he never identified them incorrectly. So what happens, and so I asked her, in fact, I said, how does that make sense? Because he's always identified colors properly. She actually showed me the test that the children are given. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more nuanced. They do an overlay of different color combinations, which is commensurate with how your eyeballs confuse colors. Mm-hmm. So, for example, red and green kind of go together. So they'll do shades of red and shades of green. And there's usually a pattern within another shape or another color, I should say. Right. And if you can't see that pattern within that other background color, that means you're not seeing the distinction between the two colors. And in fact, nowadays, you can actually just Google colorblind tests. You can do the test yourself. It's quite interesting. Not only can you do the test, once you find out what the test means, you can actually, like, for example, I know what my boys have, right. what type of colorblindness on what axes they have. They'll actually show me an actual picture and then how they would see that same scene with their eyes. Wow. So that I thought was fascinating because, you know, I like to hike. And when I'm out there, I mean, the vivid colors, the nature, the grass, the the leaves, everything is all really vivid. I was thinking to myself, if you can't see those vivid colors, would that make you less appreciative of nature, maybe? Hmm. Or something that requires a lot of color, maybe like going to a museum and seeing art paintings. Do they not stand out as much to you? Like there are vacations that we have taken and I see something that I just think is 
a scenic thing that is stunningly beautiful. I'm like, oh my God, I just like, look at that. It's just amazing. I thought it was just them being teenagers and saying, no big deal, you know, type of thing. Maybe. Maybe they have a diminished ability to appreciate that. appreciate that, that. yeah. Is the nature of their color blindness identical between the two of them? Yes, it's the same color combination, but to a different extent. And what can't they see? There are slight differences because I don't remember from their kindergarten results, Hmm. but the online tests I had them both do, and they both came out slightly different. Uh Uh, It is the red and green. They can't, a, they can't see red and green? They can still identify what red is and what green is, mm. but what a non-colorblind person would see as red or green, they might see in... Uh, the green is more like olive tones, right. and the red can mix into the olive tones. The way I interpret it is whatever it is that they see, they know that that is green mm. because that's how it's labeled. That's how they were taught. And then whatever they see as blue or yellow or green or you know, whatever the colors are, it's just, you know, your mind playing an association with that shade mm-hmm. of what you see. Out of curiosity. So they actually showed a fence and uh-huh. each strip of the fence, like the, the fence uh, posts were in different colors. Uh-huh. What I saw as like the colors of the rainbow, all the different colors, they showed what I would see a non-colorblind person. And then they showed that same fence as what a colorblind person would see. And the fence was not nearly as vivid. Mm, that's pretty interesting. Have you ever thought about letting them try out some of those colorblind glasses that allow people to see colors? They're not really interested. No? Yeah, maybe if they were interested in something like that. And I don't know how popular that is or how important that is. My second son, Monica, already wears glasses, so I don't know if he would be bothered by it. Although he wears contacts more. And I don't know if Vikram would be willing to wear glasses just to correct for his colorblindness. On the flip side, although they might not appreciate colors and nature and all that stuff, I wonder if that makes them more musical. You know, it's like one of those things that you don't have that sense, but you have another sense that's heightened. Because both of my boys do like music. It's funny. I had a sixth grade teacher who was colorblind, (laughs) and he was a very good pianist. He was self-taught and played by ear. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So based on this market research that we just did with three people, (laughs) my two sons and your teacher, I think we just hit on something. That's called anecdotal. (laughs) So um, I had a CEO out of a company that I worked for, and he was colorblind. Uh And as a CEO, we'd make presentations and we'd show him bar charts, pie charts, color charts, you know, all these different things. And we were at an offsite meeting one time and we had all this like months of a study that we had put together. We had this presentation ready. It was a big deal. He was going to show up at our offsite and we were going to impress him with all this new research data that we came up with that would net the company millions of dollars because we found some important detail of all that. So we throw up the slide and he goes, um, I'm colorblind. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> How did we not know that? Darn. People don't normally put that out there. Obviously, at that point, you can't say, well, if you look at the red section of this chart, well, let's, right. let's end this right here. You know? Right, right, right. I kind of remember in the early days of Excel, when we all didn't have colored displays or colored printers, they would use different patterns. Like mm-hmm. one was dotted, one was yes. hatched one way, the other hatched the other, maybe cross-hatched between the two. Right. Yeah. Right. I kind of remember that. And I think you can still do things like that. Only if you're aware that people in your audience, especially the lead person (laughs) that you're pitching this to, (laughs) happens to be colorblind. Play to your prime demographic. 
So I'm just curious, like with being colorblind, and I don't think of it, well, I thought of it when I found out my boys were colorblind, is other than charts and stuff like that when you're working, mm -hmm. how are other things distinguished? Even like if you're driving, it's red, yellow, and green. Right. So when you say red, yellow, and green, those are red and green are the colors that you can't see. I think they know it positionally because they go in order. That's why they have you memorize the shapes of different signs. So you can't say, I didn't see the red stop sign because I'm colorblind. No, no, it's mm. an octagonal. And you have to, you have to yeah. know that. Yeah. But whether it's driving or maybe if you're cooking and they have things in picture, I don't know. There's just, I think, a lot of things that might be affected. And the least I, I, of which is uh, trying to match your clothes that you're wearing. Um, again, when you're colorblind, you see things differently. So you don't know. I don't know if you remember a long time ago, they used to have this line of clothing for children. And they mm -hmm. were called Garanimals. That's right. Do you remember, I remember that? that. And I so do. Each article of clothing had an animal printed in the label. As long as you matched a top and a bottom with the same animal, you knew that they both matched. Did you get them those? I just remember those Garanimals from when I was growing up. I don't even know if they have them anymore. Yeah, it's a great marketing idea. I right? Mean, you didn't see them go off to school with kind of odd-looking pants, did you? <laughs> Actually, uh, I... I hope Vikram does listen to this because we've had this discussion many times. He went out shopping with his friends, came back, you know, with a, a bag full of stuff when, you know, this is like back to school shopping or whatever. Yeah. There was this one sweatshirt that he got that he loved. He wore <laughs> that thing all the time. The thing he didn't realize, it was the ugliest shade of green. It was like this neon green color. But to him, maybe it was a muted green you know, for me, it was like the brightest, like the worst shade of green. Well, <laughs> you can but imagine. if you see the world in muted shades, then having something that made that kind of a bold statement. Yeah. Is, yeah. Maybe it was good for him. It was great for him. He loved it. And I kept yeah. trying to explain to him because at this point I knew he was colorblind. I'm like, you might think it looks good, but trust me, it does not. <laughs> he could have been self-identifying as Irish. <laughs> green was his favorite color growing up so he could have self-identified as irish every day of the year <laughs> yeah, i've got i've got a, a a bright green shirt in my closet a button shirt and i don't know what i was thinking when i bought it i like wearing it once in a while it's kind of a funny statement but this thing jams radar like <laughs> when people are talking to me i say speak up i can't hear you over the shirt <laughs> Is it the color of the green screen? <laughs> I'm sure you know what I'm talking it about. Is. It, it is, is actually. Yes, 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 it's yes. that bright electric chroma <laughs> Have you ever green. seen a real green screen? Yeah, sure. All this time. is going off topic, but um, yeah, I was in New York and we took a, a tour of Radio City Music Hall or the NBC studios, actually. Mm -hmm. And so they allowed you as a tour person just taking a tour is to stand in front of a green screen and pretend that you're doing the weather, the weather report. A lot of people had a hard time with it, trying to pretend right. like when you're looking at the screen that they were so projecting, you're, so you're, you're doing things backwards and gesticulating reverse. here, but watching a monitor off there. screen. There, yeah, exactly. And this low, I mean, this way. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. It takes a while to get used to. I, I imagine it does. I have another question for you. Now, okay. I know Is you've it... traveled a bit, and I've moved around quite a bit, even within the United States. Mm -hmm. So do you believe that there are regional personalities within the U.S.? personalities yes not an accent the whole personality in the loosest definition of the word perhaps i can tell you that in rural areas people are a little slower a little more relaxed they move slower they speak slower it doesn't mean they're less bright 
No, uh, but that's just their cadence, right? It's a right, small, as, as slower. opposed to people like who are swarming around the streets of Manhattan like ants. Exactly. And they bump into each other and everything is in, is in shortcuts. You know, every, right. er, everything they say, everything right. they do, every little email, text, it's just constant frenetic movement. I would say based on my experience, I would definitely say there's personality differences in general terms. I'm saying not like every yeah. single person, but in general terms, like what you were saying. I lived in the Midwest. I lived in the Southwest. Like you said, people are nicer, friendlier, slower, a lot more patient. I don't know the pace of life and the pace of talking. So when I lived in New Mexico, I would come home for like the holidays or something and then come back. As soon as I got back, my friends would always say to me, oh, my God, your speed of talking just increased like fivefold from being home for like one week. Wow, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, slow down, slow down. <laughs> and you're a fast talker. You think so? I think so, yeah. Uh, of course, I was people. in engineering and, you know, most of my friends were all other engineers. So they said, you're talking in data bursts. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I got that all the time. Slow down, Asha. You just came back from New York. Data burst. I remember I was at our convention in Las Vegas. And I went into a competitor's booth with one of our Japanese engineers. I was interested in getting a run through on this new technology they were, they were presenting because it kind of it kind of competed to something we were doing. These guys were up front. They said, well, let me get you to, to another engineer. And it was another Japanese engineer. The two of them, they bow. I, just, <laughs> And it was, it was kind of like a, just some Japanese greetings, which were reminiscent of the opening strings of doing banjos. And then they started in earnest this diatribe that defied human comprehension. It was as though you ever pick up a telephone and you say hello, and instead you get a fax machine. It was that yeah. kind of data dumping between them. They were, they, yeah. Their, their yeah. mouths were, were moving so fast. I couldn't yeah, even make The speed of the closer. language is different. So that, that's Absolutely. why I'm like confining this conversation to within the U.S. I know if you go worldwide, you're definitely going to hear all different kinds of languages and tones. But I'm actually talking more specifically about personality differences. So, for example, when I moved from New Jersey to Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and I was still in the phase where I was looking for a home, I would be driving through a neighborhood with my realtor in the car, driving through the neighborhood. Anyone that was walking in on the sidewalk would wave hi. Yeah. I'm thinking, man, my realtor is really popular. He really knows this <laughs> town. Everyone keeps waving to him. And so after like three or four times being in different neighborhoods and everyone waving to him, I said, do you know these people? And he's like, uh, no. He goes, why do you ask? I said, because they're all waving to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And they wave around here. He was confused by my question, and I was confused by everyone's reaction mm. and how they were waving. So I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't realize you were supposed to wave to people that you didn't know. <laughs> I had to learn that skill. When I was driving around neighborhoods and I saw people, I wasn't used to having to wave to them. So usually I was already past their view before I waved. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to get this right. Soon enough, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to do that wave before they even do the wave, and I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> Motorcyclists wave on the road. There's a couple of times where it almost cost me to crash. Going around a turn trying to wave, it's, it's just polite and all. But So I, I gave that up, and I just nodded instead. Out of curiosity, you were largely raised here in the States, but you, you were born in India? Yes. Do you know India well enough to know if there are different personality traits and trends from different parts? Yes, I would say yes to that answer. And, you know, that would be a whole other topic. There definitely are differences. But when you were talking about the Japanese and their 
fast the speed of their talk. Even within various different Indian languages, there are different speeds. So certain languages sound very fast to me, and others are a little bit slower. The cadence is different. In general, (laughs) personality trends and traits, you couldn't really say that people from this part of India are less friendly or, or people from that part. Or we'll it's a whole other like topic, but absolutely. If you yeah. can say it in America, you could definitely say it in other parts of the country. I, I mean, so. other parts of the world. Yeah, I would say that absolutely, absolutely, and especially in India, because Huge going country. from state, going from state to state, you have different languages, different cultures, different foods, different religions, different all kinds oh, of different right. things. So in those countries, it's almost a given that you're going to have different, di- distinct personalities, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't think so here in America, since we all speak the same language, whether you're going from New York to California. But that's the point of my question, is even though we're in a country that is so homogenous, there are distinctively different regionalities in the way they talk. And in fact, I've been listening to a lot more podcasts since we podcast. And I hear accents, and I mm-hmm. know that person is from the Midwest, or I hear someone, and I know that sound from the Southwest. And depending on where you live and where you grow up, that kind of language or tone or word usage becomes a part of your vernacular, becomes a part of what you're used to. So when I lived in New Mexico, I met this guy that just moved there. He was living in California for the last 25 years, but grew up in New York City. And so he came into our department and introduced himself. And he said, yeah, my name is John and I'm from California. That's all he had to say. And I knew damn well he was not from California, but was from New York. Oh, really? Oh, my God. All that time in California, couldn't shake the New York accent. Not at all. Not at all. And so right after his presentation, when I had a chance to just speak to him one-on-one, I said, so where in New York are you from? (laughs) (laughs) The only time I can really distinctly get a feel for a different culture in the U.S. is when I'm in the Deep South. I remember Cora was going to University of uh, Western Florida in Pensacola, which is kind of like close to Alabama. And she wasn't there two or three weeks before she began referring to her mother and I as y'all. And she still does. <laughs> so that's my point is to think, we think that no matter where in the U.S. you are, you know, you can still find the McDonald's everywhere you go. You can still find a mm-hmm. burger. You can still find a lot of the similarities that you would from place to place. But I think there are regional differences. When I was in Wisconsin, it's a lot closer to Canada. So they have a lot more of those Canadian style ways of talking. But it's not just in, I don't want to focus just on language or accent or anything like that. It's also in what you eat. For example, the type of people that emigrated into the Wisconsin area are people that came from other colder parts of Europe. And so like Germans, so there's a whole segment of population from Germans. So not only did they bring over, they came over to the country and found a place that was more topographically like, or from a weather standpoint, maybe more like the country they came from, they also bring their foods. Mm -hmm. So therefore from over there, uh, you know, people eat bratwurst. They don't don't say, do you want hamburgers and hot dogs? They say you want hamburgers or brats. Like up in Minnesota, there's famously, uh, is it Swedish? I don't know. Who settled there? They they talk about their fish. The uh, Oh, it's a certain type of fish that I can't remember right now. But mm-hmm. uh, in, in Minnesota, they talk like this, you know? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. The Minnesota accent. Yeah, That's yeah, right. Accent. I, I hear it on But like uh, I said, though, it's not just an accent, though. We happen right. to be focusing on accent. Kind of when I was in Nova Scotia, there's a lot of people from Ireland over there. And mm-hmm. why are they there? Because, again, geographically, with the Wolling Hills and just how Nova Scotia is, it's very reminiscent of mm. Ireland. 
when the Irish come over, they bring over their culture and they bring over their food and they bring over the ways of talk. You can be in Nova Scotia, but based on what has happened and how people emigrated there kind of justifies the whole land. So you did an example of Louisiana. Yes, Louisiana has a personality. It has its own cooking. Right. It has its own uh, way of talking. French uh, New Mexico had that for me. Uh, California has that. Texas has that. Mm -hmm. Each region really does have a distinctively different flavor. Yeah. I was lucky enough to travel out through South America. I got to spend weeks at a time in many of those different countries. And my ear was attuned enough where if I heard someone speaking Spanish here, I could pretty much peg where they were from. I appreciated the different cuisines, the different architecture, and genetically the different types of people. Somebody from Brazil doesn't look like someone from Chile, doesn't look like someone from right. Peru. They have much different lineage. I Correct. remember once I was, I was being served by someone speaking Spanish to his friend here in the States. And I asked him, uh, con permiso, caballero, uh, de que país viene? Uh, pardon me, my friend, what country are you from? And he said, Uruguay, which is a place I'd never been before. So I couldn't really peg his accent. On another topic. Yes. There's this whole new growing field of something called neuro law. Have you heard of it? No. So interestingly enough. You know, if you gave me is... these topics beforehand, I maybe could research. <laughs> neuro law. Neuro law. So I have a, my son. He had his undergrad in neuroscience. When he first told me that that was a field of interest for him, I'm like, what the hell are you going to do with a neuroscience degree? You know, like, what, really? what do you do with it, right? But there are a lot of applications beyond just, you know, if you want to go into medicine, that might be the most typical thing. But yeah. in a lot of these podcasts, there's people that they interview that are either neurobiologists, neurochemists, neuro this, neuro that. There's just a lot of different subfields. So there's neuroanatomists, neurobiologists, neurochemists, neuropathology, neuropharmacology neuroradiology, neuropsychobiology. There's just so many different subcategories that you can get into. But the thing about neuro law is about applying the fundamentals of neuroscience in the field of law. For example... I find this intriguing because I have no idea what you're talking about yet. So the question really is, should neuroscience evidence influence a courtroom decision? You're not getting it? <laughs> should, so, should neuroscience evidence influence courtroom decisions? Uh, court proceedings? Yeah. So if you have a neurological yeah. condition and you do something and you get yeah. brought to court, information about your medical history might be relevant to the court case that you're being in, that you're involved in. Yeah, you're going to have to be a lot more specific about this because I, I could imagine someone saying, well, officer, I... I I was holding him at bay with my finger on the trigger, and then I had a seizure, pow, and, and that's, that's why the gun went off. But I'm stretching. You that's know? probably I, an extreme uh, example of what we're talking about here. And I didn't write down the exact example that I was thinking of at the time, but basically it's, it's saying evidence from neuroscience to show, to prove or disprove something in a court case. Could theoretically a neurological disorder cause someone to be violent or commit a crime that we were trying to get Again, at an extreme version of that might be a crime that was like a murder or something like that but maybe there's something smaller maybe it was like a, a petty theft thing can that type of information be used 
in court? And then can it actually inform public policy? That's a stretch. I don't think so. Here's I, the thing. I, so insurance companies have access to this type of information. Let's say there's a medical or a mental condition that you have. Can insurance mm -hmm. companies increase your insurance rate knowing that you have a mental condition? Mm -hmm. So there are applications where it can extrapolate to something that would go in a direction that was not beneficial to you. Okay, so can an insurance company prevent you from driving a big rig if they know you're narcoleptic? I would say right. sure. I certainly, if you are prone to seizures, the state steps in, greatly limits your ability to drive well, on your own. they don't do it that way, but they might just increase your rates through the roof. They actually can step in and suspend your license or at that point put you on meds, which kind of really mess with mm. your heads. Mm. That's why they always tell you that a driver's license is not a right, it's a privilege. privilege and we can revoke right. it right. at our right. will. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So whether you have a neurological condition or you have a mental condition or you have an epileptic type of uh, situation or anything like that, um, right. a lot of people end up or, or even like uh, nighttime blindness. So mm -hmm. that's why they make you take yeah. all those tests before you get your license. It's not to say that you can't end up getting a driver's license, but it might be a restrictive license if you did have right. certain conditions. It's best that everyone knows they have these conditions Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. You know, so the state is acting on the greater good. They're trying to keep everyone right. safe, of course. But it's mm -hmm. an interesting new field, and it's a field where the whole neuroscience subfield, that, that is a field in itself, but then can be further segmented into all these other studies. Whether they're doing a study based on some society type of or social issues, then you take it back to neurobiology or neuro something mm -hmm. else. That's what it, that's what life is, right? That's what humans are. We're all the subject of our uh, conditions and how you we were raised and whether it be a mental thing, a biological thing, a chemical thing. Uh, just to be clear, neuro law is a law study and not a medical study. Ne neuro it's law a, might it's be a, an application. It's... So it's using neuroscience evidence to influence courtroom type of decisions. There could be a situation where they bring in a neuroscientist to a, a court case to prove or disprove something. Mm -hmm. And I think we might have talked about the murder gene. Remember that one? Right, um, right. And if that could be brought into I, I, uh, an actual court case, and I guess it can be. That strikes a voodoo in my book, but I see its relation to, to what we're talking yes, about today. Yes, So I think it's interesting. There's a lot of different um, directions that that can go in. But on a lighter topic, I have another question for you. Some people, it's like the minute they see something on TV, they have to buy it. And especially when it comes to kitchen appliances. You know, they make mm. it seem as if it's the latest, the greatest, the bestest thing that you can possibly get. You can you can slice, dice and mince and do everything in one little device. And then they have uh, all kinds of new devices that come up. These are not yeah. even necessarily new devices. They have air fryers. They have the Vitamix. They have, I mean, crock pots used to be the thing. Now that's the Instapot. And then they have different versions of a food processor. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you know, I look back to from when I was a kid, we didn't even have microwaves when we were growing up, right? Now everyone has microwaves. Everyone has toasters or toaster ovens. And I there's so those. many different gadgets out there. And I think there's a segment of the population that the first new thing that comes out, they feel like they have to run out and get it because... Of course, when they advertise it, they make it sound like you have to, like the Nutribullet, you know, gotta have it. <laughs> I'm thinking that you, you know these so well. I'm thinking there's one of each. <laughs> Tell me you don't have a, a Popeil pocket fisherman in your closet somewhere. It's it slices, dices, right? it catches mices. There's some things that I get sucked into, but not all things. <laughs> mm. You know what looks fascinating is that, that screaming, smiley, chubby guy that 
that will take this miracle fabric and just uh, he, he can stop a boulder dam from cracking. <laughs> it, 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 just, it stops leaks, oh, okay. right? Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Oh, yeah, he's all over the place. Comes in a lot of different forms. One of them is a spray on oh. form, one of them is a tape, okay. one of them it, just patch up right. your pool. It works underwater, and, and he's screaming right, the right, whole right. time. So he's just what elated is it about, about this. Uh, these types of appliances or products that makes them advertise it? In this screaming fashion, it's the it's pitch. pitch right. You have to sound so excited about it. Do you remember? You, do you remember the Ginsu, the Ginsu knives that, that yes, cut through yes, nails yes. and I cans? I was going to say, do you remember Crazy Eddie? Do you remember the Crazy Eddie commercials? Oh, sure. That's a New York thing. His it's prices a... <laughs> are insane. <laughs> That's totally a New York thing. I remember Crazy Eddie's. You got to come to Crazy Eddie's. The whole commercial was him screaming. Did you ever go to oh, Crazy yeah, Eddie's? Crazy Eddie's from a long time yeah. ago. They don't have anyway. anymore, but yeah. that was just the no. thing. Oh, I think there was a scam. Um, with them years later. Oh, yeah. He, he was money, I don't know about he was scam, money but he, I, laundering or something like that. Money, yes. Certainly he was evading yes, taxes. Yes, yes, yes. But yeah. that whole genre of screaming at you and making it seem really urgent mm -hmm. and you got to go get this. And um, that's the basic same thing. Like no matter what the new product is, what is it like QVC? I don't think they scream at you so much, but they certainly make no. it seem like you got to have this thing. It was like the best, wonderful thing. But they've been around for 100 years. Uh, it goes back to carnival barkers. Uh -huh. you, tell, you say you want more, <laughs> tell you what I'm going to do. Today and today only. It's all in how you sell it. All you need to do is pay for all extra shipping. All in how you sell it. But I wait. do enjoy going to New York um, a couple of times a year or so. Not, of course, lately, but I, I certainly do. And then I like going to those street fairs. And the street fairs, mm. they always have these things called arepa. You know what they are? Arepa. Arepa. It's like a Mexican uh, it's something it's to eat? thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. And the way they sell it, you know, you're walking down in these uh, street fairs and arepa, arepa, and they're screaming it. And it's like, you got to like turn around just because of the enthusiasm that they're screaming it at. It's right. very similar to Crazy Eddie saying, Crazy Eddie's, you got to come to Crazy Eddie's. <laughs> Step one get their attention <laughs> downhill from there. I don't know if it's just how they advertise it or. You know, so if it's a QVC thing, they actually have more time to explain the product. They don't have to just scream it at you. They can show you right. what the thing does, and then they all make breakfast, lunch, and dinner all in the span of five minutes using this amazing device that they have, whether it's a Nutribullet or a Crock-Pot or an Instapot or a food processor. I've often wondered what kind of a person actually watches QVC for entertainment. And then my ex-father-in-law's girlfriend, I went to visit her, and her house was, she was a hoarder. She had one of oh everything. She couldn't, you couldn't even move oh there. She got taken ill, went to the hospital and her house was boarded up because the fire department went to get her and they couldn't move oh, around. And so uh, they condemned the place wow. actually. I, I think there is definitely a segment of the population that gets addicted to watching that and mm -hmm. will put themselves in debt by just buying everything that they see. They just can't help themselves. I think it's like yeah. those chronic shoppers or whatever you want to say, like they just can't help themselves. And of course, you're sitting at home and it's the yeah. comfort of your home. They do say QVC shopping, they earn a lot of money in the late hours because that's when people have gone out to drink. They come back, they're vegging in front of TV, and suddenly you play these yeah. TV programs or shows and they're advertising something that makes it look like it's something that you have to have. So then you buy it. Some people are more prone to that because they have the buying gene. The buying. And, and, see, uh, now you're tying the neuroscience. That's right. There, there you go. And there that's go. right. I was going to say. It those, all comes together. Are, and they might are, be colorblind, too. It was all washed out in court. Because they're colorblind, they, they're right? According to neural law. <laughs> that's right. Oh, my God, Asha. 
What a stretch. <laughs> I'll take that case. I can oh, represent no. you. Maybe we'll get your money back on that pocket fisherman. <laughs> exactly. So I guess you do not get suckered in. Is that what you're saying? No, I don't. I don't. Moving on to the next topic, I have another question for you. So okay. it seems like whenever you read magazines or watch TV or the news, it's almost like when you're, you know, our age. It's like at one point I remember them saying, coffee is wonderful for you. It's the best thing. It's uh, helpful. It's, you know, it's mm -hmm. going to make you feel a lot better. And then five years later, 10 years later, they say, oh, no, no, no. Coffee is horrible for you. Do not drink coffee. It's a bad thing. Don't ever start that habit. That's a that, mm -hmm. that's like a, a general thing I'm saying. Like That has been launched reversed. and reversed yes. several times over my yes, lifetime. Yes. Kind of like that one glass of wine a yes, day. Same thing. Exactly. No alcohol is tolerable. All alcohol has some bad side effects to it. Well, a glass of wine will actually lengthen your life. Perfect example. You know, that's a perfect example. Yeah. I think in general, though, like if you let's say if you're a health nut and you subscribe to health magazines, you could probably pick up a magazine from seven years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And they're saying the same thing. They say exercise more, eat less, all these types of things. In general, they're all saying the same thing. But certain things go up and down. And if you followed that, like how, who are you supposed to believe? Now the latest one, and I don't know if you heard about this, was about sunscreen. Now they've always said using sunscreen is a good thing. It's a positive thing. You should use yeah. sunscreen. In fact, you should reapply it if you're out there a lot. And if you come go into a pool or ocean or water or anything, when you come out, reapply it. But now they're finding that some of the chemicals that are in the sunscreen accumulate in your body and they can increase the risk of cancer. Not only just cancer, but birth mm. defects too. Wow. Yeah. That would make sense because I'm getting the impression that some of these could be heavy elements. They have to be on some level opaque enough to repel UV light. But also absorb enough into your skin that they right. can do what they're supposed to do. But then if they do, then there's other chemicals that are being absorbed in your skin too. And if you live in a sunny area and you're having to apply sunscreen every day, well, actually the experts did used to say, even if you're not in the sun, even on a cloudy day, they say you're supposed to apply sunscreen. Zinc oxide is what yeah, they use, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's a metal. Yeah. So and it's getting into your really body. Thought about it. And this was fairly recently that they came up with the report that said it accumulates in the body. It doesn't necessarily have to leach through the skin, although I, that's certainly possible. It's a semi-permeable substance. The skin is, but you're constantly rubbing your eyeballs. You turn the pages of your mm -hmm. book after you've applied the sunscreen. Mm -hmm. You can ingest it a bunch of different ways. Sure. Sure. But I always like to take the perspective of there's a new study that comes out, and let's just take that sunscreen example. So sure. use sunscreen all the time. Well, did the Romans, did the Greeks, did they, old cultures, use sunscreen all the time? I don't think they did. Of course yeah, not. Of course not. But they didn't see their 40th <laughs> birthday either. I just feel like if it didn't apply then, why does it apply now? I mean, there is something to say, well, science is progressing. Uh, so the more information you get, the ha that's how you adjust to life and how you lead your life? I live my life in accordance with the everything in moderation principle. I was just going to say uh, that whether it's wine, whether it's coffee, whether it's sunscreen, no, no matter what it is, in moderation. So if sometimes you forget or sometimes you don't do, that's okay. If you're doing coffee or wine right. or whatever, it's going to go cyclical. They're going to say one time it's really good. Or if you're going on a diet, yeah. they say, oh, uh, count your calories. And then they say, no, 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 don't worry about your calories. Watch your fat levels, you know, how many grams of fat are you eating? No, watch your carb levels. No, watch this. No, watch that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm down to once a week on the oh, heroin. Oh, you are. I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I don't know. Trends will be trends. And I don't know if, if it's a trend. I think of a trend as like a fashion type of thing. 
these are supposed to be scientific. So if it's scientific and they come up with something scientific, then if you're a scientific person, do you follow it? Do you not follow it? I guess you just follow the latest thing then. I consider myself a student and a fan of science. For me, pure science is sacrosanct. And unfortunately, I just hate how science can be politicized for some sort of bigger political will at work. I take all these things with a grain of salt. And speaking of grain, you know, the salt we put on our food, the sugars we take. I live a fairly healthy lifestyle. I exercise. I don't have red meat more than once or twice a week. I'm not going to go vegan. I do have a glass of wine with my dinner at least three times a week. I think the odds are pretty good I'm going to see my 90th birthday. Could I see 95 if I eliminated all the rest of that stuff? Maybe. Maybe it would just seem like it was an extra five years. <laughs> uh, and who yeah. wants that extra five years between 90 and 95? <laughs> yeah. Are those quality I years? I don't know. What? what? <laughs> I can't have wine? Shoot me. <laughs> I will never forget like when I was a kid in school being told unequivocally that we are entering a new ice age. We would have spoken about this before. But the idea being that it was absolutely validated with scientific proof. And then now instead we're going in the other direction with global warming. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So science, uh, you can be influenced it when, especially when you are of a scientific nature, is to believe in yeah, certain things. And then you have new information. So it's incumbent on us humans to take that new information and do with it as you will you know it'll you, you get yeah, new studies and new reports and new information so but that's the beauty of pure good science is that it's always it always has its correction mm -hmm. built into the process right. that's something that carl sagan eloquently wrote about so on that good note i'm sorry to say another serving of the chat buffet is over for now oh. it was great chatting with you joe and you asha looking forward to our next chat talk to you again soon thanks for decompressing with us today also, feel free to share the link with your friends and family and talk about these topics amongst yourselves. Meet you at the next Chat Buffet, a place where friendly conversation is served up on a regular basis. <laughs>